I mean, what I love about beauty is that it creates confidence, and we believe at Madison Reed, confident is the new beautiful. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome, Amy. We're so happy to have you here on Beauty Is Your Business today. And I'm April Franzino here with Mimi Banks. Hey, Mimi. Hi, how are you? Great. How are you? Super excited to learn more about Amy. She has an incredible story. Yes. So we're going to get right into that. So Amy, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up in the beauty business, leading a game-changing company in the hair color space. Well, first of all, thank you, April and Mimi, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. My journey to beauty was not a straight path. It's a story of an entrepreneur who became a venture capitalist, who then realized that she liked being an entrepreneur better than being a venture capitalist, and then decided that through her venture capital experience, which was passing on a company called Dollar Shave Club, that she always held as, geez, why did I do that? Why did I pass? Started her on a track to find out what the women's analog to shaving would be. And as you can imagine, the repetitive nature and the size of the prize of hair color led me to that conclusion. But then the part was, did I want to come back and run something again or start something again? Or would I fund other people to do it? And the truth of the matter is, once I saw the size of the prize, how much disruption there could be in the industry, how we could innovate on ingredients, technology, make it better for the end consumer, a woman who wants to be confident through her beauty. That was the path that led me to found Madison Reed. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) No, see, that's incredible. I was reading your impressive background with an MBA at Wharton and, and a lot of your success outside beauty. I'm just super curious why beauty, how did you take, it's a really untraditional path, but comes with a lot of great insights, I think from other industries And I think also people who are listening would be, it's really encouraging to see that you can switch industries like that and be super successful. So I'm just curious, why beauty? I am a consumer person and my career has been in different arenas that have always been a direct-to-consumer business or funding things. When I was a venture capitalist, I only had funded direct-to-consumer businesses And the reason is that it kind of carves this path back to that I believe that the career that you choose should maximize your genius, the thing that's inside you that's effortless, that flows. And for me, it's always been emotion and connecting products from an emotional basis to the consumer that's the end user. And in this case of hair color, wow, emotion is the key, right? When your hair looks great, you feel amazing. When you feel amazing, you can do extraordinary things. And there's a part of this that's almost counter that I love. So I'm a slight contrarian in the sense that I believe big breakthroughs in companies come when you actually disrupt, when you go opposite to where everyone has gone. And nobody needs another bad ingredient box on the shelf 
with bad componentry and no advice and nothing that's salon quality. And so the contrarian in me is one that says women, some men, but women primarily deserve better. They deserve better ingredients. They deserve more choice. They deserve to have their hair look great on their terms. I've taken on an industry where there's a lot of the way it's always been done. And to me, the beauty in this model is we don't we're not interested in the way it's always been done. We want to blow up the way it's been done and show our customers that it's really their choice and we're in it for them. To really take on hair color from that perspective is so important. I think that the way someone feels about their hair goes back a very long way to personal conversations you have with your hairdresser. So if you're able to be able to reproduce that feeling, that amazing feeling when an expert makes you feel and bring out that confidence is incredible and specifically for women and it can touch different people. And I'm curious, or I was thinking about from hair color, how does that touch like from, I would say an innovation perspective. So as you're thinking about, okay, now you've taken on innovation and you are disrupting an industry, what do you see is next or how are you looking at hair color? Because you're, you're also speaking to it through a non-traditional lens, which is also exciting for women about confidence, about taking control back and feeling really good. Yeah. So I think you touched on a lot of great themes there. So the first thing that I'd say is fear of taking on an industry, in my opinion, is a creativity killer. And so for us, being fearless in a way that's judicious is an important thing. And so there's something about someone that knew nothing about an industry that actually creates the possibilities that you could look at the industry differently. We have always felt as if the epicenter of our entire business model is it precisely the stylist, right? So the interesting part about this is it feels on the surface that we're disrupting the stylist and that relationship. And in fact, that's not true. Our call center has always been certified licensed cosmetologists where we've given these people, jobs, learning technology skills, embracing their career opportunities by giving them something different than just standing behind a chair. And so they establish relationships with our customer all the time directly. The second thing is that we use technology in a way to emulate what the stylist does, which is they look at your hair and they are assessing where you want to go with your hair and where you are today and what's on your hair and what's your natural color and how to get you there. Well, that's exactly what our 18 question quiz does in terms of an algorithm. The third thing is as we've opened over 50 hair color bars, we've given a career opportunity to all of these stylists. And now I won't get into a lot of the details, but there's a million stylists in the U.S. and 100,000 salons. And they may be very different, April and Mimi, I, I don't know where you live, but if it's in an urban metro area, my guess is that you're all very used to two and three and $400 hair opportunities that you have. Well, the average stylist in the U.S. makes less than $20 an hour. They don't make the same thing that the person in New York City who's getting paid $450 make. So if you have 100,000 salons and a million stylists, there's only the chosen few at the top that have career opportunities and compensation opportunities. And so we pay two and a half to three X what they normally make. We pay full benefits. People are standing behind the chair, not smelling ammonia and all the things that go into eight hours a day of inhaling that. 
and in fact have a career opportunity to learn about technology, education, R&D. I mean, I have incredible stories about stylists that started in our call center that are now formulating color in Italy for us, right? So for us, this is as much about the disruption of the career path and opportunity and creating that same emotional bond that we have with consumers all the time because they trust us with their hair as we have with our own team members. Wow. It's so unique. I feel like obviously this category was pretty stagnant for a really long time, almost since it began. So to see such a great idea, you know, for shaking things up and bringing the professional experience directly to the consumer is incredible. So tell us a little bit, Amy, about how once the idea came about, you thought about positioning it in the market in terms of being direct to consumer and then now establishing the color bars. How did it start and then evolve? So what we knew was what we didn't know. And we uh, tried very hard, like anything in life, to put experts around us that knew, except our lens could be slightly different about changing the kind of rules of engagement. And so the beginning of the company was about what I'd consider to be massive disruption about the ingredient profile, what was in the hair color. We were able to accomplish that with our eight free formula. But we also knew that we had to prove that somebody would buy this, use it repetitively, and there was a business there, right? So it would have made no sense for us to open hair color bars initially when we had no efficacy about the product. And I'm a product person as well as a consumer person. So I believe that companies that want to build enduring brands actually have to have great products. This is a category that I try to tell everybody, like you cannot fake your way through hair color. It must work every time. And it has to work according to her expectations every time. And you have to get her the right color without seeing her. And you have to hope that you give her instructions or content videos that she'll apply it the right way. Like just go down the list of all the things that are hard about that. So what we knew was that we needed to test what I would call the efficacy of our minimal viable product in tech terms. We needed to see whether there would be enough people that would buy it and they would stay with us long enough and the cohorts would last and their client satisfaction. So the one thing I'm super proud of is this company's net promoter score has always been somewhere between the high 50s to the low 70s. It's sitting today in hair color at 69. That's unbelievably high in any industry, but in hair color, it's like, so I knew that we had efficacy in the product. And once we knew that, then we started to look at the size of the market, right? It's just, it's what you would do as an entrepreneur, like, oh, wow, 50% of women are never going to do this at home themselves. We'll just let those numbers sink in. So then when you look at that, you say, well, we have efficacy of a salon quality product to send to you at home. And that's a great business model, but we're missing half of the total addressable market that would never do this themselves. It doesn't matter how great the product is. They're not going to do this themselves. They don't want to. That is awesome. And so then we said, well, geez, we have this product that's salon quality. Could we turn the same attention to disrupting the four wall experience with the product as we turned to the disruption of changing the $7 box on the shelf to be replaced by a $25 box at Madison Reed. And so that was the big turn. 
you know, that happened. It's a funny thing in a board meeting where I came into the board and I said, you know, we're getting traction here. So our business, like I had this crazy idea and they all probably like, those were the days where we used to have board meetings in person. I'll just go back to the old days when we actually met each other. There will be new days again. I'm hopeful. And I said, I have this crazy idea. Let's start with a pop-up in New York City and see whether we could use technology for booking flow and get the same data on people and get their appointments to be less like the SLAs. The timing is such an important part of our business because we are really serving the fact that most women, when you really boil it down, don't want to spend $400 and they don't want to spend four hours. They just don't. And they actually sort of do care about what's in the hair color. They just have never thought that it was their right to know what was in the product or own their own formula. Like those things, which is astounding, are completely off base. So I convinced the board to give us a certain amount of money. We opened a pop-up in New York and away we went. I mean, I think there's like so much interesting information in what you're saying, but I think one of the first things is a lot of women or people who color their hair don't know what they don't know. And this age is all about transparency and learning and understanding. And so the more that people are aware, the more I think that they're going to flock. And so I think as you're starting this, it's super interesting that you said, okay, here's the platform that we're going to start on as telling people what they need to know, because I just don't think that they know. Here's the dilemma and the beauty. As I say in life, there are always opportunities and yet challenges. And typically opportunities come out of hard challenges, right? Here's the beautiful part. In every single market study in the last year that we've done, only 40% of women have heard of Madison Reed in the U.S. And people could be like, well, that's awful. And I'm like, well, in seven, a little over seven years, I think it's pretty good. But what I really love is the 60% that haven't. <laughs> and what I do know, which is true, is when people understand what we are offering them, there is so little friction because... They're like, oh, I'd love a product with better ingredients. Oh, I'd love to have the freedom to know my formula. Oh, I'd love to know that sometimes I could pop into the Flatiron store in New York and be in and out in 75 minutes with my hair looking amazing for 75 to 80 bucks. And then if I'm actually in LA, I can go to the Studio City store and have the same formula, the same exact results everywhere. So I don't have to go to the same person at the same time on their schedule. And then, oh boy, I'm going to Hawaii or the Caribbean or wherever you're going on vacation. I don't have time to get my roots done. I'll just take a box of the same color with me. And the person in the store actually showed me how to do it. And it's easy. Like that is a game changer in the industry. So I think Mimi, you said something perfect, which is when people, women primarily understand the value proposition, they're like, sign me up. But remember that this, and this is the patience it takes to run a business like this. I get, was on the phone with bankers this morning for no reason other than to understand what's happening in the market. And they say things to me all the time. Well, like, how long do you think this is going to take for the company to completely flip? And my response to that is, as long as it takes to educate very savvy, discerning consumers, which are women that care emotionally about their appearance. And so to me, however long that takes, like we have plenty of time in the world, we're building an enduring brand. And I will say this over and over again, our intention in this company is not we build a big company, we go public, we all make a lot of money or we sell it to so-and-so. All those things would be very nice. I'm, I'm not going to 
dispel the fact that capitalism is a good thing for all those involved when handled the right way. But what I will dispel is this is a category that building it brick by brick matters. And I'm not going to be rushed in building it brick by brick. It's got my kid's name on the door. It's an enduring brand that I want people to trust when we tell you that the ingredients are great, that they're great, that we will never sacrifice that. And we won't sacrifice the service and, you know, confidence that you deserve when you buy our product. We will not sacrifice that. You mentioned something about being a founder and entrepreneur. I think if you can touch on that, about that things don't happen overnight, taking a step back and you look at what you built, it's like incredible. Look what she did. She changed industries. Look what she did. Can you share just a few words of advice from someone who comes either outside the industry or somebody who has this idea that says, hey, I have a crazy idea. What should I do? What are the first steps or what do you think that helped you? Maybe it's a personality trait. Maybe it's the understanding of the business. I just would love to have like a few pieces of advice. So I get a ton of people that reach out for various kinds of advice from the content of their business model because I still am an investor. I'm a partner at a venture fund. And so I still look at investments and help. And yet this always comes down to one thing and it's called resilience. It is The number one factor that I look for when I want to fund somebody or get my shoulder behind a wheel, it's the number one thing that I think it takes to be successful, which is the unrelenting ability to say, no matter what happens, I'm here and I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to learn from the things that didn't go well. And I'm going to double down on the things that go well. I'm going to understand that, that this is all about the resilience that it takes to look forward to those opportunities and celebrate the wins and learn from the number of things that have happened in this company that on the surface would look like didn't go well. I could go on for 7,000 days and never even be able to talk about them all. But what is it about that? It's what I call the pattern recognition of life, where you just understand that those things are what makes you better. The wins are easy to celebrate. You don't really learn very much from them. You know, most people just pound their chest and say, oh, look how smart I am. Well, that usually isn't a good recipe for a long-term lifetime of wisdom and various ups and downs. I mean, look at the pandemic. We can either focus on the horrific nature of it, which by the way, it has been for various reasons, or we can look at it and say, what are the silver linings that have come through the other side that we're going to take into the next chapter of life? Well, that is the same as the entrepreneurial journey. So eyes wide open, resilience. And then the last thing that I would say, honestly, April and Mimi, is this. Like the most important thing is to understand where your genius is. Where are the places in your joy that what I call effortlessly flow through you? Where you're just in a zone where it's sort of like, oh my God, I am just grooving on this and nobody can stop me. I'm untouchable. And where are the places where you're really not good? Because those places that you're really not good, in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to recognize them. You have to give up control of them. You got to surround yourself with people where their genius is the things you suck at. Excuse my language. It's really hard for people to do. Really hard, especially founders. My life got so much better when I sat back and I said, oh, where are the places that are my genius and where do I hate it, dislike it? And then let me hand it off to somebody else to do that and celebrate that not resistant. I love that. Those are such amazing 
lessons. They really are. And it makes me so curious as you've been building this business, what have some of the biggest challenges been and the growth opportunities that came out of those? Yeah. As I say, I could wax much or poetically for a long time about the learnings of the pandemic and all of that, but I'll just put it in because those are unique situations, but they're all a thousand percent of success in any business comes down to one variable, people. It always will be people. It always was people. And we keep, you know, as entrepreneurs or as venture capitalists or whatever, we keep re-spinning the story like it's, oh, it's business model. Oh, it's how much capital do you have? Oh, it's all those things are true, but it is always about your team. It is always about the human spirit, the ability to motivate people through different levels of what happens in a company's journey. Very different when we had four people, then 20 people, then 50 people, you know, close to 500 people will hire over 850 stylists alone this year. These are numbers that are astounding. So either we understand that groups of people on the right track can do the most extraordinary things in the world. You know, the Great Wall of China. I mean, honestly, if you've ever been there in your life, and I have, you just look at it and you're like, is that humanly possible that people picked up all those rocks together, put them down and made this work? There's a gazillion examples. Well, companies are the same thing. You just have to focus on this really important thing that people think is an afterthought. It's called culture and values. And I try to tell people all the time is your product is your product to your customers. Guess what your product is internally? It's your value and your culture. That's your product. By the way, I serve, I have three customers. I have my investors. I have the customers that we sell product to. And I have our team members. They are my customers. And by the way, I have a philosophy that I serve at the pleasure of what works for them. Because when it works for them, it works for everybody. So I'm just a big culture values person. We hire against it. We talk about it. We have behaviors that emulate it. And that is a non-negotiable in this company. And that will be at the end of the day, God willing, as my Jewish mother says, you know, from my mouth to God's ears, as she says, and she did a great job on guilt, by the way, she's fantastic. And I adore her. But my point is that whatever the outcome for us is, and I always look at life like every moment we should be grateful for our, all of the successes that are in every single thing we do, we should have massive gratitude. It's a much better place to live life. Whatever the outcome looks like in this, here's what I'll know, is I will know that we did it the way that we wanted to, that we made people's lives better, that they had professional, personal, and hopefully financial growth, and that we did it our way in our culture that celebrated the human spirit. Amazing. We're all like, wow, that sounds like an amazing company to work for. (laughs) And I've heard great things. Amy, can you expound a little bit on some of the challenges that you feel like stood out to you and then ended up, you know, what kind of growth opportunity came out of that, those situations? I feel like that's always so helpful to hear. Yeah. So, you know, in the pandemic, we had 12 stores at the time. And so while the online business went nuts, we had 200 people that we had to look at each other in the eye on March 13th. I think I remember the exact day or March 16th. And say, okay, we got to close these things for how long? What are we going to do? We all looked at each other and we said, we're not going to let these people go. And so we didn't furlough anybody. We moved everybody to the call center. We sent them all 
200 people computers in 10 days. I think we bought every Google Chromebook that existed in the Bay Area with headsets and trained people over a 10-day period that would normally take like six months. And we just said, okay, we have the demand inside the company. You need to switch to become the colorist using your skills online or on the phone or on chat or email. Let's go. And I think there was a couple things that we learned. One, again, human beings, when asked to come up with a task, if it's well executed, will do anything. Number two, our values were being stress tested. Like it's the moment where all the words, all the words, the words you say are just words. Are you going to back those words up with actions? And so the fact that those people never were, we created safety and security of their jobs. We told them it isn't just words, it's how it's going to be. And many of them to this day, the irony, have never gone back into stores. They like the call center better. They've learned new skills. So the truth is we expanded the pie instead of contracted the pie. That's one thing. Two, uh, we have a supply chain that we make our hair color in Italy. Guess where the hardest hit region next to Wuhan was? Epicenter, Lombardy region of Italy. Boom. So we're sitting there with, you know, selling a box of hair color every five seconds, having to get hair color out of the region that told us that they couldn't put things in a truck. We negotiated to make hand sanitizer for the Italian government for free to keep the factory open and keep people in jobs, but to have safety and security. So I have learned so much about what it's like to be in a crisis and just lean into what you know is right and right for people in your business and not be fearful, but to lean into that. You know, last thing I'll leave you with, like mental health is one of those things coming out of the pandemic, which is massive. And we leaned right into the fact that we needed to give people not just a doctor, and you'd be amazed how many 20-year-olds don't have doctors and you never think about it until you're in a pandemic. Like, do you have a doctor? No. And you're like, oh boy, okay, company's obligation. But how about mental health? And so we put mental health services for people around, and we still have them. We give them for free. You can talk to a therapist for free on our nickel anonymously. So I learned so much without having a rule book. And I look back on it. It'll make us stronger, better. I'm sure there's a thousand curveballs to come, but I feel good that we went through that kind of experience together as a team. Wow. What a journey. Talk about the ups and the downs at the same time, right? It's really incredible. And I'm curious about what you're looking forward to as the company grows so exponentially and obviously the color bars are flourishing now. What's the next step and what's important to you moving into the future? So step number one is the cultural values in the company and the efficacy of the products are non-negotiable. So I'm looking forward to continuing to have that be true and we'll do everything we can and that will be true. The second thing is that I'm looking forward to is continued growth. We'll leave this year with over 80 hair color bars in various regions of the country. You'll see us in more doors and stores. You know, you'll see some new product innovation that's going to be awesome. And I'm looking forward to the step function of what it means to be a much bigger company and how do we keep those cultural values alive? Because the easiest thing is to just let them go. I mean, you've seen that over and over again as companies scale that that becomes the thing that you say, oh, it's just too hard. Well, this company's not going to say it's too hard. It's everything. I spend 30% of my time on it. And I'm not going to move away from interviewing every person in HQ or every leader in a hair color bar before we extend an offer. I meet every single one of them before we extend an offer. Our HR person in the beginning was like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, no, not so much. 
What's ridiculous is to let go of the cultural values and think that they're going to just stay on their own if you don't work hard for them. So I'm excited. I'm excited about our future. And and the last thing I'd say is like, wow, I am so grateful to our customers who have just supported the company and continue to support the company. It's extraordinary. We have literally evangelists of the brand and people that write me like, you've saved my life. And that feels good. And I am so excited for the future of the team members because the best is yet to come. It's what I really believe. I love that. And I'm curious, Amy, to get a little personal. Tell us about your hair color journey and what, you know, we see that you're a blonde under your hat. <laughs> the fact that I, that if you take a picture, you'll see the baseball cap that's covering the roots that are on the top. There you go. That's That's the way it goes. My hair color journey is I'm naturally pretty light blonde. Like if you look at my eyebrows, that's natural. So I don't have some of the same issues that somebody who might have a dark brunette hair and want to get to my color, which is more platinum. So it's easier for me to use Madison Reed and I can get there and only by one level of having to lighten my hair. So I don't have some of the same things that other people do, but I have the same things that other people do, which is when my roots don't look good, I don't feel particularly great or when my hair's not blown out or, you know, it just doesn't, I came on and said to you, look, I apologize for the baseball guy. It's like the first thing I said, right? Because our hair has an identity. It's an equalizer in our life about beauty, our regiment, our appearance, our confidence. So I have the same issues. It's so funny within the first five minutes of meeting almost every single woman, whether it's on Zoom or in person, the first thing that a woman says to me is, don't look at my roots. You're looking at my roots. And I'm like, I swear I'm not looking at your roots. So it is something that we all have in common. That is definitely for sure true. As somebody who loves having her hair colored, I can relate. Just like you said, how you feel about yourself translates into every part of your life. So something is seemingly small as your roots or... (laughs) you know, your brassy color or whatever it might be that really can have a, you know, an effect on you. And kudos for making it easier for women across the country to do these things for themselves and be empowered on their hair color journey. It's pretty amazing. So at this point, we'll just ask you, Amy, if you have any final thoughts that you want to leave with our listeners about our conversation and, you know, just any advice that you might have for them. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I love the name of this, you know, which is Beauty is Your Business. I think it's great that you're highlighting beauty businesses and looking at them as the kind of opportunities that exist that aren't just nice little sidebars for women to start, right? Like these are real businesses and they are, they can be lucrative and wonderful. And, you know, the thing that I, again, that I leave you with is that you know, wow, how lucky can people be to find that thing in life that's their journey and get the opportunity to continue to do it. So what I'd leave with the listeners is just don't give up. It's hard for women to get funded. It's hard for primarily men to understand how big these businesses can get because they don't use the products, right? The number of dudes that have said to me like, oh, how big could hair color be? I'm like, are you kidding me? Because they don't color their hair. Apparently, they're not looking at their visa bills or their American Express bill of the person in their household or multiple daughters that do color their hair or else they'd be like, oh, yes, I get it. You know, so my point is that I am always going to root for um, women, businesses, ventures. I believe we stand on the shoulders of each other. 
and we have to support each other and fund each other and give each other confidence and mentoring. And I believe and I see great businesses being built out of the unlikely. And I think that that's extraordinary. So I'm a big supporter of women taking chances. You know, last thing I'll say is like, why did I name the company after my daughter? It's not really about my daughter. It's really about the metaphor of creating the possibilities that you could do anything in life. And because you're a woman, the fact that that would be a disadvantage is absurd to me. Absolutely absurd. But it also requires women to not buy into that own story. That's a story. That's just a story. It's like the story like, oh, you can't be good in math and science. Really? Why? Or you can't be smart. Really? Why? Or you can't be successful in business and still have a family. Really? Why? Right? So the name of Madison Reed is really what anybody or everybody, I believe, would want for their kid. The possibilities that life could be exactly the way that you want it to be. I love that. What a great way to wrap up our conversation. Thank you so much, Amy. Can you let our listeners know how they can connect with you, whether it's on Instagram or the website or LinkedIn or whatever you prefer? Yeah, I think the best way to get me is LinkedIn. And I do respond to LinkedIn as as uh, Hillary and Kiva know, I respond. And when people actually, you know, DM me, I get back to them. Uh, the other thing that's really true is I get lots of emails and people are always astonished that I will respond to every single one. My Instagram handle for these purposes is at Amy Erin. Fantastic. And same with just your name on LinkedIn. You don't have a special pseudonym or anything. <laughs> nope. I don't have a special pseudonym. It's just me. Just plain old me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for your time. We really appreciate it. We know how precious it is. And thank you also to Mimi for being here today with us. Thank you to everyone for listening. Check back next week for another great guest. I'm April Franzino, and this is Beauty Is Your Business. This has been Beauty Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.